Hi everyone, I'm Suzanne Delahunty and this is Freedom Hunters, a podcast about inspiring people who have made fascinating career changes and found freedom in their dream career. We talk about their journeys, how they changed career, the challenges they faced along the way and what success means for them now that they're doing what they love. I started this podcast to be the resource I wish had existed when I felt stuck in my legal career and didn't know how to follow my dream of a career in fashion. I finally did though and am now a fashion stylist and brand consultant. You can find out more about what I do on my website, suzannedelahunty.com. I'd love to hear about what your dream careers are, so tag Freedom Hunters on Instagram wherever you're listening to it and let me know. It's at Freedom Hunters Pod. My guest today is Australian actor Kat Stewart. Kat is an Aussie household name due to her many stellar and powerful performances in the very best of Australian TV and theatre, which have led to her winning many accolades, including Actor and Logie Awards. Kat had just wrapped up filming the second season of her latest TV series, Five Bedrooms, when we spoke. Five Bedrooms tells the story of five people who meet at the singles table at a wedding and end up buying a property together. Over the series, we find out why and how each of the characters come to be living in a share house and follow the disasters and dramas of share house living. For anyone in the UK, you can catch season one on the BBC iPlayer. Kat became known in Australia for her performance in Australian true crime drama series Underbelly, which is based on the events within Melbourne's gangland wars in the late 90s. Kat played the role of Roberta Williams, wife of renowned criminal figure Carl Williams, and shone with the intensity of her performance. Following further TV and theatre roles, she then went on to play the role of Billy Proudman in the hugely successful series Offspring, one of my absolute favourites. You can check out all seven seasons on Netflix. I talked to Kat about her career and how she started out working in PR in Melbourne. However, there was something inside her that just had to pursue her passion for performing, and so she transitioned her career from PR to acting. It wasn't an easy road to follow, and Kat was very frank about the challenges she faced when first starting out in acting. But if you're contemplating a career in acting or in the creative arts, her advice is encouraging. If you have that creative passion burning inside you, you've just got to do it. And if you're in a career right now that you don't necessarily love, it can always help you as you explore your creative side and turn it into your career. Please enjoy the episode. Kat Stewart, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining me. Absolute pleasure, Suzanne. Uh, I want to start uh, right back at the start. Can you tell me where did you grow up and what kind of a kid were you? What were you into? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, I grew up in a small country town in Victoria, Australia um, called Bensdale. Oh, I and know. Time, I did. It's beautiful, at the time, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world. At the time, it had about uh, 10,000 people. Um, but it was the kind of place where if you didn't know someone, you knew their older sister or their younger brother or, you know, it was kind of a close-knit kind of community. Um, and I lived there until I was about 14. So I had a very, quite unusual for an actor. I had a unremarkable childhood, a very happy childhood, um, uh, a pretty functional, close-knit family, and we're still all very close. So, you know, I've, a lot of actors, you know, move around a lot or um, have parents split up or have some kind of um, upheaval in their in their childhood. I don't quite fit that mould. Um, so, yeah, I'm very, very happy. And then when I was 14, we moved to Melbourne in Victoria, Australia. 
I understand that when you were young, your father decided to have a year of working and travelling in Europe. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So, yeah, even though it was kind of a, a, a secure kind of um, almost, yeah, very normal um, upbringing, my dad's always been a really adventurous spirit. So um, when I was eight, he decided that that's it. He was 37 or something. He was going to retire. He was never going to work again. He'd always been a workaholic. I don't actually have many memories of him as a kid because he worked such long hours. Um, he was a solicitor in, in this town. So um, he sold. we sold up all the assets apart from the family home and rented out the house and that was it. We were on this odyssey for a year travelling around Europe and doing correspondence and sort of having this family adventure, which was amazing. And in the early 80s, that was pretty progressive. Not many people were doing that. Um, so that was a big, big turning point for me as an eight, nine-year-old, just kind of seeing that the world was so much bigger than, than what I'd been aware of up until that point and, and hearing different um, accents and, um, and and going to school in London. And yeah, it, was, it was an incredible experience. Was there any particular experience or place or people that had a real lasting impact on you that you can see sort of was with you throughout your life? It's funny that in just this moment, it's kind of landed with me as we're talking that um, the, the little primary school I went to um, had an Australian principal and I was the only Australian student there, but he had told all these kids that Australians were basically superheroes that they were really strong <laughs> and tough which is and true was, obviously it's true I, I was this little pasty wafy little thing I was very underweight as a kid <laughs> very pale um and uh but all these kids expected me to be tough and strong and outgoing because I was Australian and it was so liberating and no one knew me so I had that first experience of and you have it when you travel anywhere I guess even as an adult where you can kind of reinvent yourself and um, I love that. It made me more uh, brave. I kind of tried out more things. I, I was playing netball. I was doing extra stuff that I hadn't done at home. Um, and I, I kind of I rose to that challenge. Um, and so I think, yeah, that was probably quite a formative experience, changing who you are in certain, certain you know, situations. Yeah. goes to show how important travel is, I think. Everyone's got to do at least like a gap year or something to kind of have that experience where you can be a little bit anonymous or you can be anyone. Yes, and you're not just defined by the people that you belong to. I think that's really important too. I had a similar experience in my late 20s where I spent just a few months on my own where I didn't know anyone in New York and that was very similar as an adult just to be able to go, okay, well, I decide today when I meet whoever I meet today, I'm going to be this version of myself and that's really liberating. Yeah. So what did you want to be when when you were in high school, say? What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, coming from a, a small country town and not having anyone in my family who'd done anything remotely in the industry of, of, of acting or performing, um, I knew that I loved, I was in love, madly in love with Olivia Newton-John. Oh, <laughs> a lot of awesome. With hairbrush, miming to Xanadu. Um, so I, I kind of, I think, I don't think that was particularly unique. I think most girls of my age were doing that. But I loved, you know, I was always drawn to um, frivolous kind of things, I suppose, as, as many kids are. I never imagined that I could be an actor. I think 
I remember in grade two, I had a teacher that got us to act out stories and I loved doing that, but I never thought that any of that stuff could possibly be a career. In fact, I was kind of fighting against it right up until um, much later. I, when I studied drama, I made sure it was a nighttime course that I could still work doing other things because I really didn't think it was a career. I thought it was a phase that I kind of thought I should probably grow out of. So it was never something I aspired to do. I think if I'd known, if I'd had someone to model myself on or if I'd had someone in my, my orbit who was doing it, I think I would have wanted to do it, but I just didn't have anyone to to model myself on. So what what was behind that, do you think, this idea that acting is not a viable career option? Well, it isn't. <laughs> <It's really laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was a bit of a, I mean, I... I consider myself incredibly fortunate that I'm able to make a living out of it. But the bottom line is the unemployment rate is something like 95%. At the moment, it's something more like 99.9% yeah. during the pandemic. Um, so um, it is a really tricky career. And so, you know, if my kids said, I, um, I, I want to be an actor, of course I would support them. But I would be knowing what I know. You know, it's not an easy path. Mm. Um, but then, you know, most things that are worthwhile aren't. You know, I have absolutely no regrets. Yeah, that's good to hear. What did you then study at university? Right. So with that in mind and acting not at the forefront of my mind at all, um, I did marketing and arts with a major in psychology. So I sort of thought I I, I knew I, I thought I'd go into business and I just sort of figured, oh, well, marketing, advertising, kind of PR, that'll be kind of a more creative area of business maybe. Um, so that's what I did. But while I was... Um, there, I, I hooked up with the Drama Society at Monash um, in the campus I was at, and that that was it. Like that's all I wanted to do. And then the the, the study kind of became the hobby, and all I wanted to do was be a part of more more plays, more productions. And I um, but yeah, I, I was absolutely in love with it. Once you finished uh, your studies, what was your next job, or what was your first job out of university? So um, I finished uni and then did a bit of a trip with a couple of girlfriends backpacking and then got a job uh, in publicity as a publicist at uh, Penguin Books. Oh, what a great so job to great. start in. Yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great job to get. So I, was, I had really formative experiences with all manner of, you know, you start off with the tiny authors, you don't get to do much and then you kind of, get more experience and then you're doing you know tours nationally in those days it was it wasn't it was very much print radio and tv so you were going to radio stations you were going to you know TV, you know seeing Bert Newton and on GMA or something and and doing radio interviews and stuff so it was really it was really interesting and it was a really great um uh master class for me to see how to behave in those situations um and how some people behave better than others and how that affects the people around them. And that, that was really um, instructive for me. And I just a great experience. I was reading really interesting material and just spending time with really interesting people in my early 20s. So I loved that. But while I was doing that, I was secretly doing a, a nighttime drama course that was a three-year course, uh -huh. kind of hoping that, that, that acting would be a phase I'd grow out of because I was quite good at the publicity and I was enjoying it. But... Uh, in my second year of drama school, I had the option of doing the Adelaide Writers' Festival or playing Harper in this play called Angels in America, which is a great 
great part and um, I couldn't do I couldn't be in both places at once and I had to make the decision so that was kind of the fork in the road and um, was that so a, I resigned was that a tough decision to make it was but it it was hard to let go because I was I was going I was doing well where I was and I could see a concrete path and that's as I'm sure you know Suzanne very seductive you know it um, nice when people pat you on the back for what you do and and you can actually kind of demonstrably show what you're achieving and you can you can touch it you can feel it you can measure it whereas pursuing something in a more creative sphere is is much more nebulous and, and trickier to, to quantify or to kind of track I guess so that letting go of the security was hard but it Ultimately, it wasn't really a decision. It, I knew it was inevitable. At some point, I would have to make the call, and, and uh, no, I don't regret it for a second. Yeah. Did anyone try and talk you out of it at the time? Do you remember? No. Um, I mean, I'm, I know my parents were incredibly supportive, but I know they were worried <laughs> with good reason. But um, no, I, I, I think the, the person who was toughest on it uh, was, was myself, my own worries about it. Um, but it, it was it was exhilarating to then be able to focus on it and to actually tell people because I hadn't really told people I wanted to be an actor. So all of a sudden I was saying, look, I'm studying acting, I'm doing this thing. And that, that was a big step too, just kind of owning it. And, um, and then I was working still as a publicist. I worked at the AFI Awards, which are now the Actor Awards um, in, the, in the awards department there. So I was still kind of in an interesting world during the day and then, and then did my last, my third year of drama school sort of balancing those things. So it was I still kind of had a foot in each camp. I was still hedging my bets a bit probably. So was there a time when the acting roles were coming in frequently enough that you didn't have to worry about having a side hustle or a side job? Um, so that was painful, um, if I'm completely honest. I got a couple of jobs straight out of drama school. I was I got an agent from our showcase and I got a job sort of from that as well which led to another job. And I sort of thought, okay, well, this is this is, this is is the way it works. This is great. Um, and then it was really quiet. And um, and my agent closed. I didn't even have an agent for a little while. Um, it was awful. And it was, it was really confronting. Um, so I was doing uh, contract publicity work, um, you know, government gigs and a couple of freelance books and just stuff to keep, to keep going. But it, it was really hard because it was that thing, you know, when you meet someone and you see a family member at a, at a function or something, they say, what are you up to? And you're saying, oh, how's the acting going? Or, or you're in a cab and they say, what would I know you from? And you're like, nothing. Because, you know, <laughs> those, early, those, those early years are really hard and you, you're finding a way and you're um, getting rejected and you're auditioning and you're not, I don't know, some people are just really, you know, turn up brilliant at it, but it took me a couple of years to get good at it, I think. It's a skill, it's a muscle, and I, it took me a while to get the hang of it. What kept you going during that time? So I think a lot of people might give up when it, those periods of not acting become too long and too often. What keeps you going? I I am stubborn. I'm not, like, I, it's funny, I'm not an overly, I'm not an extrovert and I'm not um, particularly... Um, I don't take up a lot of space. I'm not cocky, I'm, but I have an innate belief in myself and kind of like a baseline. I know 
I knew that I wanted to see what this was and I knew that I would regret it if I didn't. So I'm really, really stubborn. But also um, I joined a theatre company um, about two years after I graduated, three years after I graduated um, in Melbourne St Kilda, which is still going strong almost 20 years later, called Red Stitch in St Kilda. And that was an absolute game changer for me. It meant that I, I was getting paid about 50 cents, but it, I was <laughs> I was acting all the time. So the idea, it was 12 actors that um, we, we produced our own work. And the first year we put on 12 shows in 12 months and then we, it was amazing. So you got the opportunity basically to do rep. So I was um, rehearsing during the day a lot of the time and performing a different show at night and it just got me really fit and it, it, it made me um, feel like I was an actor. I could actually tell people I was an actor because I was acting as opposed to being an aspiring actor. And um, that kind of nourished me and gave me the experience so that when the auditions did come up, I was ready to go. I think that was that was a big thing. And it did take a while. It took a long time. <laughs> then yeah. around about 2008, uh, you played the role of uh, Roberta Williams, who's the wife of the notorious Melbourne underworld figure Carl Williams in Underbelly. Now, that, yes. was a big, that was a big role and that was huge because that series was, um, it was quite something. Um, how did that role come about? Uh, so that was just the way they often do. You get a, a call from your agent um, and you get a couple of scenes to learn and you go in. Um, I'd been working, so I'd been making a living out of acting for a couple of years by then, three or four years. But they, it was kind of, you know, recurring guest roles or, or core cast roles on shows that nobody saw, often for good reason. Um, <laughs> so when I read these particular scenes, um, I thought, these, oh, this is interesting. And I knew a little bit about the, the gangland war being a Melbourne person. Um, but I had no idea. They were very secretive. I wasn't able to read episodes or find out how much the character even appeared. So it was it was just an audition, but it was a good audition. The, the scenes were fantastic and um, you hope anything you do is going to be really good, but it just turned out that this one was and it was a, an amazing experience and Roberta just kept turning up in all the episodes and sometimes they'd strike, <laughs> they'd strike swear words from other people. You know, you often have a quota for an episode, but they never took mine. My dialogue was just incredible. Um, and it was just this great ride. I just loved it. How did you prepare for that? Because, uh, well, Roberta is a real person. Um, was there a lot of footage of her that you could study or how did you get into her character? So we shot it in 2007 and um, I don't know how well she might be in the UK, but certainly um, she became very, very well known in Australia um, post Underbelly. Um, but before then, when I was preparing for the role, there were a couple of TV interviews um, and then not much else. And I, I, I wasn't allowed to meet her. The producers didn't want me to do that. So um, it was really, um, I spent a lot of time with police that had spent time um, on surveillance. Um, and I spoke to a lot of lawyers who'd been on the other side and I had access to, to court documents that kind of detailed her background and some of the cases she'd been involved in and, and her extraordinarily tough childhood, which really informed a lot of what I did. So it, it, I often say it's, it wasn't um, 
an impersonation because I didn't have that kind of access. It was kind of an interpretation. But um, the writing was so strong that also did so much of the work. Yeah, it, what a character to to get into. She's quite complex, really. It was kind of good being unknown, effectively unknown, because I had nothing to lose. <laughs> you know, I am. Um, I didn't have an image to protect, and it, it, she's a character that demanded a ferocity um, that I don't personally have. And so, to be taken on a ride like that with a character is the dream for an actor where the character just takes over and you're able to just go there in a way that's really liberating. I think in a way it's much easier to play characters that are quite different to who you are. Um, and that was certainly the case with Roberta. It was an absolute gift. So after your role in Underbelly, what happened then? Were there, there TV offers or would, did you get back into theatre? What did you uh, What did you do next? Well, I just, so I am... Um, I got married just after we shot it and then while, while we were on our honeymoon in Thailand, uh, I heard that, that uh, it wasn't going to be screened, it had been banned because of all these court proceedings that were going on. So I was devastated because I, I hadn't seen it yet but I, I really thought it was going to be good. Um, so it, was ne- it wasn't ever shown in its entirety in Melbourne. So that was, and in those days, you know, 12 years ago, that mattered. You know, we didn't have streaming the landscape was so different so people were watching it in melbourne on bootleg dvds (laughs) (laughs) it took a while for it to kind of reach people it was big in sydney it was big um elsewhere but um for me in my day-to-day life it didn't change i didn't feel like an overnight sensation or anything like that i was working on a satire with sean McAuliffe on sbs and i was doing theater and i was um i was just pottering around doing what i always do and doing theater and stuff and it took a while, but but I, in retrospect, I can see that it, it opened doors and it led to to better opportunities. But at the time, it was very it was a very gradual kind of thing. But for I think for the Sydney actors, it was a big deal. Mm. Well, I can't interview and you and not talk about your role as Billy in Offspring, um, mainly because, well, Offspring is one of my favourite, or actually my favourite uh, Australian TV series, and Billy was my absolute favourite character on it as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what I loved about her was she just had no filter whatsoever, uh, yeah. no respect for anyone's boundaries, um, She, but her, all her vulnerabilities were right there on the surface, but she was just a force of nature and I loved her. Um, when you read the script for it, did you have it, was there anything in it, was there any idea that it could, offspring, could then go on and be as successful as it was? Well, that's the thing. Um, we didn't have a script. <laughs> so when I signed on, there was no script. It hadn't been written yet. Um, but I had worked with the producers on a show which I just loved doing called Tangle, which we, I'd done the next job I did after um, after Underbelly. Uh, and that was a fantastic relationship drama. It was kind of like an HBO-esque kind of grown-up drama and had Ben Mendelsohn and, and Matt Day and Justine Clark and Catherine McClements. It was just great. Um uh, but the producers of that told me about this and they said, okay, Asha Ketty is going to play Nina. We want you to be Billy. Um, Deborah Oswald's going to write it. What do you reckon? And I was just like, yes, I wanted to work with all those people. So that was um, that was it. And then I waited with some trepidation because we did a, a telemovie pilot um, 
and it was very, um, you know, if watching the first telly movie and the first, especially the first half of the first series, it was a very strange show. <laughs> like it took yeah. a while for it to work out what it was. Um, so, yeah, I was a bit, um, I knew it had potential, but it was pretty ropey to start with working out what it was. Um, so, no, I think the honest answer is no, Suzanne. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think, oh, this is, this is going to be a juggernaut that goes for seven series. Um, no, I, I really thought, oh, I hope this is all right. <laughs> so you couldn't just sort of put your feet up and go, ah, oh, that's it, financial security for the next seven years. <laughs> never, never. In fact, every beginning of every job um, is terrifying. But if I'm not terrified, not terrified is probably the wrong word, but if I'm not worried, if I don't feel like I'm starting from square one, something's wrong. Like it's healthy respect for the job, I think. Mm. You've got to, otherwise you're relying on your bag of tricks and you really want to make sure that you're creating someone new um, each time. Mm. Otherwise, you know, don't bother, I don't reckon. Mm. You've got to try and different each time. After season seven um, finished and, and that was the end, well, as far as we know, I'm always holding out hope. <laughs> Oh, spring will come back. Um, you know, I think you're in a position then where you would want to choose your next project carefully. What what happened after Offspring for you? So uh, that's the thing, Suzanne. Like when you've done something that's that you've loved so much and to have the, the opportunity to spend so much time developing a character and forging those kind of connections and that shorthand with an ensemble and a team of writers... You don't want to just do anything. So I did theatre and I kind of, it's really hard to, not, not. I'm not going to pretend I was like getting offers every day, but I just wanted to hold out for something that I really believed in. Um, I sort of feel like you, things can go wrong, but if you know it's not right on the page, you're doomed. Like you really have to start with something that you believe has got real potential. So I kind of held out until Five Bedrooms came along. Um, which uh, I've just finished the second series of, which is actually two of the the main writers from Offspring created it. And um, it's a relationship drama. It's five singles who um, find themselves at the singles table at a wedding and they get drunk and they're bemoaning the fact that the real estate market is so dire for singles and they, they buy a house together. They get the first one they've been on and they can't believe it and they have to kind of work out what to do next and, that's just been um, so much fun. So we finished the second series after a pause with COVID um, three weeks ago. What was that like filming in a COVID world? Uh, different. We were so grateful. We had three months off um, and we were just so pleased because we really wanted to finish it and get out, get the second series out there. Um, but it, it's weird. There, there are a whole lot of um, procedures in place obviously social distancing, sanitising absolutely everything you touch, um, uh, being careful with the handling of props, when departments can be in rooms, the number of bodies in rooms, like there are all these rules. Um, but you were just, the first week felt really strange, mm. but then you kind of get used to the new way of working and actually, um, look, obviously I would rather work the old way where I can hug hug everybody in the morning, but um, but it, it I feel like um, the show wasn't compromised and I'm so pleased we're able to get it finished. So um, it's, I, I would much rather be able to touch everyone, but, but I, I, it was, it, I think we made it work. 
Well, I absolutely love season one. I watched it on BBC iPlayer and, you know, talking about your character, so very different to Billy, whereas Billy, you know, had no filter, no respect for boundaries. Liz, your character in Five Bedrooms, she's got so many filters. We don't, you know, we don't, it's hard to know who she even is and she's got so many boundaries. She lets very few people in. So that must have been a nice change for you to explore a different kind of character. Yeah, and I, I think um, spending all that time with Billy, whose heart is an open book um, and who didn't have filters, it was really good and and not to rely on my, yeah, the things I know I can do. Um, so, and I also I related to Liz because what I love about the show in general, but particularly for Liz, is that, you know, these are people who are, all of us end up in a, in a point in our lives on our 40th birthday or our 30th birthday, whenever it is, where we go, how did I get here? This is not what I This is not what I thought it would be. Well, certainly this is not what I thought it would feel like. And she's in exactly that situation. We, we learn that she's um, come out of a really messy divorce and she can't afford her own place. She's had, she's always had everything. She's been uber successful and she is starting from scratch. And um, I, I love that, that, the show embraces that, um, you know, we're all just fumbling through um, and they kind of form a de facto family, this household. It's, um, it's lots of fun. But I just wanted to talk more generally now about a career in the arts. Um, you know, you've mentioned that it's, it's tough um, and in Australia in particular there's just been funding cuts for mm -hmm. the smaller um arts companies, theatres and um, festivals. I mean, what do you see as the, the future for, you know, people in the arts going forward, particularly after COVID where, you know, a lot of places have just been brought to their knees? Well, I, I, um, I love theatre and still do theatre. Um, and I, I mean, look, it's you know, the live performance is going to be one of the last things to, to get back up for obvious reasons and um, that's that's a worry um, and I'm worried about my industry and I'm worried about the people I care about who are in it um, and who are obviously out of work. But, um, look, you know, everyone's doing it tough. Um, so, I don't know, there's something about COVID that kind of, brings it back to everything back to its most basic and fundamental and that is we are nothing without our health and we've just got to get through this and then build from there but I yeah I'm, I'm I am worried about live performance in particular but if anything um the pandemic has reminded us all how much we rely on creative creative output you know we're all devouring and um Netflix we're all you know listening to podcasts we're all reading great books and so um you know, what we do is really important and we'll, we'll find a way to create, it, but it's going to look different. It's We're definitely going through a period of incredible change. Yeah. And reckoning. I think we've just got to be hopeful. I think there's something in us humans that needs to create. And if you look at things like the bushfires in Australia at the start of the year, it was all the creative people who were putting on concerts, making clothes, making artwork to raise money for those mm. communities. I mean, we need we need people to be creative and, and um, you know, those creative souls in the world. So l let's not let this put people off. 
So in, on that point, what advice would you give someone who is really passionate about a career in the arts, whether it's acting or something else creative? What would you say to I'm them? So, I'm so aware, Suzanne, that I've just made it sound like it's such a <laughs> life. Don't do it, kids. <laughs> you know, I've got to temper what I said because you're asking about my early years and they yeah. were really hard. So I had a lot of support and any little... Every time you get that call for the audition, you're like, "Ooh, this could be the thing. Ooh, this could happen." Like it's a it's a roller coaster, and I it's it's there are very few um, lives where you can everything can change with a phone call. You know, it's 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 intoxicating to think. And you, I've I've gone to places and met people I never could have imagined doing in a in a regular life. And so, and I am I've got to say I never feel more alive than I do on set or on stage where everything is humming. And I mean, obviously my children, husband, loved ones, yes. But there's something about when it's really working and you are truly in the moment during performance or, or um, creating that is just, it's magical. And I, I don't want to do anything else. So I, I, I mean, yes, so I can talk about the years that were early and hard and they were, but I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't swap it for anything because it's what I need to do. It's what I'm born to do. It's what I want to do. Um, so, okay, so I'm just trying to balance things a little bit there. <laughs> um, advice I would give, um, I think you need to feel really passionate. I think um, I, I kind of come from the generation where you do it because you love it. You don't do it for fame. But I know, look, some people work their careers very differently and they 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 look at it sort of marketing first, art second. I'm kind of old school. I'm not much, <laughs> even though I have a marketing degree, I'm really not. It's For me, it's about the, the work. Um, but um, I would say just really want it because if there's something else you can do that's going to make you happy, you should absolutely do the other thing because you, your odds are much better to do other things. But if you really love it, just do it. And my experience of, of getting somewhere was just doing it, not with thinking, not expecting um you know when I was doing tons of theater independent theater I wasn't getting paid properly for it I was doing it because I needed to do it because I it mattered to me to work and that in itself led to more work but for all I knew that was all it was going to be just if you if you love it you'll do it you'll make the short film you'll you'll write the the short story you'll you'll whatever it is you will do it and I think if you love it you just you just have to and it becomes as important as breathing it's not really about uh choice almost if you if you need to do it you'll do it and you'll find a way to do it and i think that still holds true even in these dire times i know that artists and creatives are still creating um and we have to and we all we need that connection all of us humans you know mm -hmm. like we're finding great solace in great art and great drama and great writing at the moment yeah good advice stick with it and um be stubborn <laughs> Yeah, and if you need to do it, do it. You absolutely yeah. have to do it. Did you ever have a mentor or someone that um, you looked up to and saw as a model for your career? I um, I actually asked for a mentor. Um, MEAA, which is the uh, Actors' Equity uh, Union in Australia, had this, I saw some ad. They said, you know, would you like a mentor? And I was like, yes. So I rang up. And said yes, please. And then someone rang me back and said, "Okay, who? What sort of person would you like?" And it was 
sort of touches on what we were just saying then. I didn't want someone who was jaded. So many older actors say to younger actors, run, don't do it. And I didn't want to hear that. I was sick of hearing that. I wanted to hear something positive. I wanted to hear what was good about the, the industry. So I said I wanted a woman, someone who was older than me and someone who was not jaded. And they gave me this incredible woman who is still one of my dearest friends. Um, her name is Elsa Piper. And um, she would meet with me once a month for a coffee and just talk to me and, and made me feel like when really nothing was happening, made me feel like I was a part of something. Um, she was just great. So she, she would be my number one. But then I worked with great directors too that really – took me under their wing um, in theatre in particular. Um, I've been really lucky. I've, and producers, I've worked with female producers that have that I've worked a lot too. So most of my um, mentors have been female, I've got to say. Mm. Do you think that's important for women to have female mentors? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'll take any mentor, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I don't have to, but that's why it's worked out for me. And I, I, um, I feel a responsibility to kind of look out for younger actors too. Um, you want to, you know, pay it forward um, because, you know, there are and a, lot of, a lot of the time it's just I, I'm a people pleaser. So really early on in my career I, I, um, I was trying to get along with everybody instead of saying, actually, I don't feel good about that. I think a side ponytail is a bad choice for my character. <laughs> <laughs> I actually agreed to a side ponytail twice. Big mistake. <laughs> what would it be in anything I've seen, Kat? No, I doubt it. And I think that that goes a long way to explaining how ordinary these productions were. <laughs> oh my god, I'm picturing Roberta Williams with the side pony and those. Yeah, by then I knew. By then I was putting my foot down. But you know, so it's just a stupid example. But you know, early on, you you're so you're so desperate to get well. I was so desperate to get along with everyone and be to be easy and delightful to work with that I I was letting myself down. And you have to actually say no. Actually, I I, I think I think this or I think that or I think um the character would 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 have this take on the scene or whatever it is. Um and it's sometimes it's just having a little a little quiet chat to the the young actor that you work with and saying no, like your instincts are good. That's all right. Just you know talk to the director or whatever it is mm. um, and backing them up a little bit. Was there any advice that your mentor or anyone else gave you that really stays with you? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not a single piece of advice. There's a quote that I love that was a, I read in a Michael Caine biography many years ago and that was just die expensive. And I love that idea of just go down fighting. Like if you might fail, but do it gloriously. Be messy. Take people down with you, you know, just just die expensive. Like give it a shot. And that's always been my attitude with every role I take on and actually with, with pursuing this uh, career. It's just you've got to give it a shot. If it's what you want to do, you'll never forgive yourself if you don't give it a shot. Absolutely. I love it. Die expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Are there any projects that are still out there that you'd love to do or someone you'd love to work with? Oh, there's actually a play that just fell over that I was a bucket list. Which I'm, I'm just I'm still hoping that it, it still happens maybe the following year, so I won't say what it is. But, yeah, there was a <laughs> play I've always wanted to do all my life. I'm finally old enough to play the role and I just – 
yeah, anyway. So that I, I would, there's a role, there are a couple of plays I'd love to do, but this is one in particular. It's a, a real classic. Um, uh, but I've never, aside from a couple of famous theatre roles that I think are rivers, um, I've always kind of liked the surprise because I feel like if you've got a predetermined idea of what you should do or how you do a particular role or what you'd like to come your way, I don't know. I think it's better to be surprised and kind of have to just dis- have to discover it for yourself in the moment. Yeah, my experience has been that even when I was a helping produce plays when I was in the theatre company and I'd you might, you know, um, lobby for a particular role. Often it was the ones that you just sort of had to do because no one else would do them <laughs> were the best ones um, because you have to dip, dig deeper or, or go beyond what what you'd imagine, what your comfort zone might be. So I kind of enjoy the surprises, to be honest. That's mm. a big pull of the ride, not knowing who you're going to be month to month or where you're going to be. Yeah, yeah. So did Hollywood ever appeal? I must say Hollywood has only ever kind of been on my radar during quiet times. So I have gone over a couple of times for like a few weeks. I've done that twice and just, you know, I got a manager one time and did meetings and stuff. Um, I mean, and and I'm not to say I wouldn't, but I've just been lucky enough over the last, you know, 10, 15 years to be working pretty consistently that I haven't. Um, And now I've got a young family I think, you know, I'm a bit long in the tooth to go over and be couch surfing. Um, so I'd need to go, you know, if I did that, it would be with, with a project that had resonated. Yeah. Um, so, no, I've always been pretty philosophical about that. It's kind of, I wouldn't say no to it, but I, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go on my knees, you know. I'd, is that the right, it's probably not the right term. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't go with nothing. Mm, yeah. And I'm, I'm too old for that. You'd rather yeah. take the Jackie Weaver route, which I love. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, God, yeah. She's given a lot of middle-aged women hope. Oh, yeah. Well, she was in her 60s, right? Like, oh, wow. God. Yeah, no, and so, so richly deserved. She's mm. just such a legend. Finally, the question I ask all of my guests is, uh, what is success for you? Success? for me has changed over the years. So when I started, I thought it was an Oscar. I thought it was, don't get me wrong, that would still be lovely. Um, But uh, success for me now is being able to look myself in the mirror and like who I am and uh, like what I do. So respecting myself and respecting, feeling good about the, the, yeah, what I'm doing and the decisions I'm making, self-respect. And so that's being true to who I am and putting it on the line. Um, and and have also now that I'm a bit older too, having a not just being about work, also appreciating that it's pretty hollow if, if, if you don't have people you care about that you can share it with. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, Kat, thank you ever so much for taking the time to uh, speak to me. Your career is so inspiring. I love your projects that you work on, all your shows. So thank you. Oh, absolute pleasure, Suzanne. And oh, yeah, I just hope I didn't make it sound too too dreary. <laughs> it is hard work, but it's also the best possible life. And I, uh, I'm so, 
I'm so grateful for it. And um, so I just, if people are inspired to, to lead a creative life and if that's what is burning in them, then you absolutely have to grab it with both hands. It is hard, but it kind of, most things that are worthwhile are. So yeah, do it. Absolutely. That's great advice. Thank you. Thanks, Suzanne. Thank you for listening to Freedom Hunters. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more about my second career on my website, suzannedelahunty.com or Instagram at suzannedelahunty.com.